Let us turn in the Word of God uh, to 1 Kings chapter 18. First uh, Kings chapter 18, if you're using a church Bible, it's found on page 359. First Kings chapter 18, and we want to read uh, from verse uh, 19. We're going to be thinking about Elijah later in our service. Uh, and we need to get the big picture of what's happening in Elijah's life into our minds at this stage. So I'm afraid we have two lengthy readings this evening uh, to help us uh, do that. So we're beginning, first of all, First Kings chapter 18, and now we're reading from verse uh, 19. And Elijah has been ministering for a period of years in Israel. Uh, the people have been tempted to follow Baal, a false god, it's really the God of uh, prosperity and fertility and materialism. Uh, a, a God of the neighbouring nations. He's been brought right into Israel by Jezebel, uh, the queen, the woman that Ahab, uh, the king of Israel, has married. And so now we're going to read about a great contest that takes place between Elijah, the prophet of God, and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And that has a background uh, then to 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. So let's read uh, from verse 19 of chapter 18. And this is Elijah speaking. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. And let them cut it into pieces. And put it on the wood. But not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull. And put it on the wood. But not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God. And I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, <coughs> Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or travelling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, 
And they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one from each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench round it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering, and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar, and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, A cloud, as small as a man's hand, is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot, and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Amen. Now this evening as we come to God in prayer, uh, we want to thank him for the four public meetings uh, that we've been able to have over the past months. 
want to thank him for the speakers that have come along and uh, dealt with difficult subjects and yet very pertinent subjects in our society today and uh, we want to commit to God uh, those whom in his providence he brought along uh, to those meetings. Um, in some cases we are aware of people's circumstances because they shared them with us. In other cases people came uh, and they went without uh, wanting to, uh, to, to talk and so that is, that's fine in God's providence but the Lord is the one who knows uh, everyone, uh, every situation and is able uh, to minister and so we want to pray this evening for ongoing benefit and blessing and then of course CDs have gone out as well from uh, each of the meetings and some more CDs were ordered uh, on Wednesday evening and if you weren't here on Wednesday night and you want the CD on suicide it is still possible uh, to order it please speak to me uh, afterwards and we uh, can add your name uh, to the list so let's remain seated and let's seek uh, the Lord in prayer Our God and our Father in heaven, we come this evening to you in prayer again and we worship you and we bless you and praise you for the opportunities that you have given us over these past four months to deal with issues that abound in our society today. And Lord, we believe that as we do that and as we have done that over the past months and as we may do that again in, in uh, times ahead that we are following in the footsteps of Christ himself because when Christ was on this earth he saw men and women in the situations in which they found themselves he saw them in their physical need and in their emotional need he saw them as they were blind and as they could not hear, as they could not walk, as they could not speak, as they suffered from um, hemorrhaging and various other illnesses. And Christ met those needs. And in the midst of doing that, he also met a deeper underlying need that was in their lives. The need to know you as the living and true God. The need to come to him in faith and in repentance. The need to recognize their sinfulness. The need to go and sin no more. Go and live a life of sin no more. But live and follow a life of righteousness by grace through faith. Lord, we thank you that uh, we've been able to have these three speakers over the four meetings. We thank you for their faith in Christ. We thank you for uh, the callings that you have given to them in life. We thank you for the skills that they have in understanding uh, humanity and human life and human need. And, O God, we thank you for the things that they have set before us to give us a Christian framework within which to view these matters of, of stress and depression and grief and suicide. And Lord, we thank you for the, uh, the, the gospel which has gone forth also, both implicitly in what they were saying 
and also explicitly at the end of each evening. Lord, we thank you for those who you brought along uh, in a variety of ways and for a variety of reasons. Some having seen it in the newspaper, others having retained the leaflet uh, from the summer literature distribution. We thank you, Lord. Uh, And others came uh, because they were invited personally. And we thank you for each one uh, who has come along. Lord, they've come, they've heard, and many have gone, and we do not know their particular circumstances this night, but you do. And so we bring before you each one who came to a meeting here. And we ask, Lord God, for the work of your Holy Spirit in each heart and in each life, that they would find help and hope uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the midst of their need and for that deeper underlying spiritual need which is common to all mankind. Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom uh, to know where and uh, or to know how and when and in what ways uh, to follow up um, individuals uh, who would need further help. Give to us, O Lord, Uh, the resources uh, and the abilities uh, to do that to the glory of your name. We pray for the CDs that have gone out and will go out and we ask that they too might be further blessed of God and that they might be a means of grace and help uh, to many people. Lord, hear this, our prayer, and own, O Lord, the work that we sought to do and establish the work of our hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's open again our Bibles at First Kings, where we want to read now at chapter 19, and this is the more specific passage uh, that we're going to be looking at tonight. First Kings chapter 19 and verse 1, uh, page 361 in the Church Bible. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with thee, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah saw and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by its head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Am. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shabbat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will, Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there. Amen. On Wednesday night in our public meeting, and tonight in this service, we are addressing the topic of suicide. We're not going to be addressing it this evening directly, but I believe that we'll be looking at an important aspect of it. And suicide, as we saw on Wednesday evening, is a very painful and a very delicate issue in contemporary society. Dr. Collins highlighted the extent of this problem in Northern Ireland indicating that about 200 people commit suicide annually in our province, with as many as 2,000 people attempting suicide in any given year. Dr. Collins spoke extensively on the subject under the title, When Hope Runs Out. And the end of his address, as I've already alluded, by asking the question, where can I find real hope? They answered that question from First Peter, showing us that there is a hope that is living, that is eternal. It comes from God. It is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. And this living hope enables us to triumph over even the most painful of adversities 
in life. And so tonight I want to speak to you about hope for a very simple reason. From what I know and understand of suicide, it is the loss of hope that leads people to consider, and in most cases, to commit suicide. The thought, I have nothing more to live for. The mindset that says, I have nothing more to offer. The mindset that says, things can never get better. The belief that there is no solution to a problem. And so the only way out is to end it all. One Christian author has put it this way. Research shows that hopelessness is the single strongest predictor of suicide. Hopelessness is the single strongest predictor of suicide. Or as Dr. Collins put it the other night, risk factor for suicide. If you go on to websites that are offering counsel and support to those dealing with suicide, they will talk often about the pivotal role that a loss of hope plays in suicide. Tonight I want to speak then about hope, its loss and its recovery. Hope its loss and its recovery. And I'd ask you please to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, page 361 in the Church Bible. For I believe this theme is illustrated in the life of Elijah. He's a man who lost hope and he's a man who also recovered hope. And his loss of hope took him to the point that he wanted to die. And his recovery of hope made him want to live again. Let's think then about hope, its loss in the first place. We cannot read this section of First Kings without realizing Elijah is quite a man. He is not a weakling. He is not someone uh, who uh, is uh, insignificant or unimportant. His name means, my God is Lord. My God is Lord. And the man's life is the living proof of that name. Let's just mention a number of things that he's done through this God who is his Lord. By him he has confronted the wicked king Ahab and the wicked queen Jezebel of that day and era in Israel. By his God Elijah has called the people to turn away from worshipping Baal the false god and to come back again to worship the true God who had uh, saved their fathers and forefathers and who had been gracious to them through the years. 
Elijah has prayed to his God and drought has swallowed. And when he prayed again, three years later, rain came on the land. His God has supplied him with food. First of all, by ravens, unclean uh, birds, vultures. And then by a widow. And while he stayed with the widow, he's been uh, fed by her and her jar of flour and jug of oil, which was only enough to cook one more meal when he arrived, that uh, jar of flour and jug of oil has not run out. That's the man we're talking about tonight. We meet him now in chapter 19. And we find a very different Elijah. The man we now come to is almost unrecognisable compared to the earlier Elijah. Now he's praying a very different prayer. Now he is acting in a very different way. In chapter 19 verse 4 we read, He prayed that he might die. I have had Enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah has lost hope. Elijah has lost the will to live. Elijah doesn't believe he has any further usefulness on this earth. Elijah wants it all to end immediately. And are these not the same kind of thoughts and the same kind of feelings that the suicidal have? Losing the will to live, believing they have no further usefulness, wanting to end it all. So what has happened to Elijah? What has contributed to this man's loss of hope? How has it come about? Well, I believe as we look at the chapter, several factors combine. And we want to note these. We want to think for a moment about his bodily exhaustion. Because that contributes. And that is a factor in his loss of hope. We read 1 Kings chapter 18. Because we need to understand where this man has come from. What has been happening in his life before this. And we saw there in chapter 18 how this man, this servant of God, he's been engaged in a long, sustained, intense battle with the forces of evil that are at work in Israel, the nation, and the church. And that has come to one great final skirmish, if you want to put it like that, on Mount Carmel, with the prophets of Baal. And there for a whole day, he has given himself uh, in, in uh, representing God, and uh, in standing for God, and he's expended emotional 
and physical and spiritual energy. And by the end of the day, the God of Elijah is shown to be the Lord. It is he, not Baal, who sends the fire. And Baal is shown to be a false god of the people's imagination. Surely Elijah should be riding on the crest of a wave. But immediately after the contest, Elijah says to Ahab, You go and eat and drink. But what does Elijah do? Does he go and eat? Does he go and drink? No, he withdraws and he goes to the top of the mountain where he engages in an extended period of prayer. Again, pouring out himself, spiritually and emotionally. Praying now for the rain to come that hasn't been seen for three years. And when the rain clouds gather in answer to his prayer, what does Elijah do then? Does he get into the chariot beside Ahab and sit back and rest? No, we're told then that Elijah runs back to Jezreel. Again, he's expending himself. And yes, he's helped by the Lord. But there is an expenditure of physical energy and stamina and strength here. And he runs 70 miles. A marathon. But it's not in the marathon pace. He's running at the pace of Ahab's chariot. And he's told Ahab, you get your chariot back to Jezreel as quickly as possible because the rain is coming. And yet this man, he's running ahead of it. And when he gets back to Jezreel, we might think, well, is it not time for a shower? Or the equivalent? Or a lie down? Or what about a decent meal? Well, as soon as he gets back to Jezreel, he hears now of the threat of Jezebel. And again, there's nothing to suggest that there's any time lapse in this happening. And she is going to kill him. And the man runs again. So here's a man. And we meet him in chapter 19. And he is mentally and physically and emotionally and spiritually exhausted. He's exhausted. And an important factor in the loss of hope in this man is the state of his body at this point in time. The state of his mind, the state of his emotions, the state of his spirit. Another factor in this loss of hope is his unrealized expectations. This man has high expectations of himself because he knows who he is in the Lord. He knows what his task is. He has been called by God to be a prophet. But here now we find him and he's disappointed in himself. This man has believed and hoped that his life and his work in Israel will have a great impact on others. 
He has thought, I am God's answer to Israel's need. To Israel's backsliding. And God is going to turn the nation around through me. But now as he sits in the desert, under his broom tree, what's he doing? He's asking himself, what have I achieved? What difference have I made? What good have I done? I have failed. Look at verse 4. When he says, I am no better than my ancestors. I am no better than the most insignificant of my forefathers. So he's disappointed in himself. And what he and his, the expectations that he had for himself, they haven't just come together in his life. And he's disappointed in other people. He's disappointed in the church, in Israel. Those he loves. Those he works among. Those he worships with. Those he ministers to. These people have sat under his preaching for years. These people have experienced the miraculous, the drought that has come in answer to his prayers. These people have witnessed the fire of God coming down on Carmel and consuming not just the sacrifice, but the very altar, the very stones. Have you ever heard of fire consuming stones? And it drinks up the very water. These people have seen that there's no ordinary fire. They've witnessed miracles. And these people have shouted, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. But here's the point. There seems to be little, if any, change for the better in their lives. And so Elijah is bitterly disappointed with the people around him. Verse 10, he says, and again in verse 14, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. That's the words of a disappointed man. A man that's let down. A man whose expectations for the people have not been realized. And so he's a loss of hope. Because expectations have not been realized in his life. And isn't that often what happens in the suicidal person? There's a loss of hope. Because their expectations of life, their expectations for themselves, their expectations for those closest to them, perhaps a wife, perhaps a children, perhaps their very marriage has gone. Their expectations of what they would achieve in their work. Perhaps their expectations for their church have been dashed. And with the dashing of those expectations comes a declension in their hope, a loss in their hope. And then there's another factor here. 
in Elijah's loss of hope and it is an uncertain future an uncertain future up to this point Elijah has believed if anybody believed Elijah believed it the Lord my God he is sustaining my life every day He's keeping me and he's protecting me from that wicked Ahab and that wicked Jezebel. And he's sustaining my life through the ravens, the food they bring, and through the widow at Zarephath. And it's that very consciousness that earlier in chapter 18 meant he had no fear in going and presenting himself to Ahab. And Ahab had been scouring the whole countryside looking for him to kill him. And Obadiah told him that. And Elijah more or less says, well, so what big deal? Because I'm not depending on Ahab for my life. The Lord is protecting and sustaining my life. But now, in chapter 19 and verse 2, Jezebel, the wicked woman in, the, in that nation, threatens to end his life within 24 hours. And Elijah's courage evaporates like snow of a ditch. And he runs for his life. This man feels, I can't take any more. I'm unable to cope with this death threat. He cannot factor this new possibility into his life. He can't take this new thing in his stride. Though he has in the past, by God's grace, overcome so many hurdles. This is the final straw that breaks the proverbial camel's back. And so he prays, take my life, Lord. Now they are trying, verse 10, to kill me too. And the uncertainty of the future gets them. Not being confident any longer that as God has protected me yesterday and as God has preserved me today, he will preserve me tomorrow. And so again, it is a strand to his loss of hope. And isn't that not true of the person who becomes or is suicidal? It sometimes is a final, uh, the, the thing that finally breaks their the, the camel's back that pushes them over the brink is some news about something that makes life uncertain in the future. News of serious illness. Perhaps a terminal illness. Redundancy. Marriage breakdown. Something that lies there in the future and as they look at it, they can't see any way out of it, any way through it, they can't see any light in it. And so we have Elijah's 
loss of hope. And I believe there are these three strands that contribute to it. Bodily exhaustion, unrealized expectations, and an uncertain future. And again, those three dimensions are there, I believe, in the suicidal person. A body, a mind, a soul that is tired and weary of life. There's challenges and its difficulties, its stresses and strains. A disappointment with oneself, with others, with life. And the future becomes uncertain through some further event, an illness, an accident, or whatever. And it's all dark, and it's all dismal, and there's no light. Hope, it's lost. Let's think then secondly about hope, it's recovery. Hope, it's recovery. The Lord did not answer Elijah's prayer to end his life. He didn't answer. Instead, the Lord tenderly and gently deals with the man in such a way as to renew his hope and restore his life to usefulness. Let's notice the steps by which the Lord does this or did this. Look at verse 5. Then he lay down, as after he made his request, and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He ate and drank, and then he lay down. He fell asleep. He ate. He fell asleep. He ate. What is happening here? What is the Lord doing here? The Lord is providing Elijah, his hopeless servant, with sleep and food. Why? Well, to restore his body to bring about bodily recovery to put back into his body all those things that he has taken out of his body in his service of God over the years and now in this recent experience especially and it's true is it not that after a good night's sleep and after some good solid nourishment things don't seem quite as black or as hopeless the next day. And the Lord not only gives Elijah one good sleep he gives him two. And he not only gives him one good meal he gives him two. And when you or I begin to feel hopeless about life, we need to stand back and we need to ask the question, what has brought me to this point? Have I been living with high-pressured situations for an extended period of time? 
Have I been skimping on sleep? Have I been neglecting recreation and relaxation? Have I been failing to eat properly? Have I been treating my body as if I were a superman or a superwoman and forgetting that I'm a clay vessel in which the treasure of the gospel resides? And if we have been forgetting those things and overlooking those things, we need to put those things right. We need to begin to eat properly. We need to make sure that we take time out. We need to build up the sleep reserves if our hope is to be recovered. After Elijah was rested and well fed, he was then told to go to Horeb. And notice the Lord told him, I don't want to see you there until 40 days time. I don't want to see you at Horeb until six weeks time. Now Horeb is only 200 miles from where Elijah is now. It's a short distance. It doesn't take six weeks to cover. Certainly not a man of Elijah's speed of movement. Why does the Lord say, I don't want to see you at Horeb until 40 days time. Well, again, the Lord is considering his bodily needs. He's saying, make a leisurely journey to heart. Take your time getting there. Don't be doing what you did when you came back from Carmel to Jezreel. You're not superhuman. Don't exhaust your body as you undertake the journey. Don't burn out on the way. Take your time. You see, the Lord is dealing with him and he's giving him a break in his ministry in order to experience bodily recovery. And that's going to be vital to the renewal of his hope. And so it is with you and with me. And then at Horeb, the Lord restores Elijah spiritually. He's dealt with him in his body, and now he's going to deal with him in the spirit. Verse 9, the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Those words are not words of rebuke. The Lord is not taking him off at this point, because the Lord has told him to go to Horeb. He hasn't gone there of his own wish. The Lord said, I want you to go there. So what's the Lord doing then? Well, the Lord is wanting Elijah to express to him what it is that is consuming him inside. It's his tenderness, the Lord's patience with Elijah. And he invites Elijah to express what it is that is eating eating him up inside. He wants him to express those, um, those ambitions and those expectations that have been lost and damaged. What is it that makes them want to die? The Lord doesn't ignore Elijah's thoughts, or emotions, or his perceptions. He invites them, 
And then he addresses that. The Lord doesn't treat treat us as if we were robots. We're made in his image. And Elijah's told them, go and stand on the mountain and the Lord will pass by. And whilst Elijah is standing there at the mouth of the cave, he witnesses some mighty things, some fairly exceptional things, and an unimaginably powerful wind that pulls and breaks the rocks apart. He witnesses a mighty earthquake. He hears a raging fire. But the Lord is not in any of them. And then comes the still, small voice. And Elijah experiences the presence of the Lord in the still, small voice. And he pulls his cloak over his face. He's made to worship. And he feels in his heart the goodness of God flowing and sweeping over him. And the mercy of the Lord. And the love of the Lord. And the compassion of the Lord flowing over him in that still, soft voice. Now what is the Lord teaching Elijah? He's saying, Elijah, you expect me to work through the cataclysmic, the dramatic, the big, the loud, the visible happenings, the drought, the fire and caramel. But I am the Lord. I'm equally at work when I speak quietly and softly in an individual's heart and conscience through my word through the prophet through the preacher Elijah don't be unrealistic in your expectations don't confine me to working in one way and so the Lord restores Elijah's spirit and he begins to recover another dimension of his hope when the believer's hope burns low, your hope or mine, there is a temptation, is there not, to seek the dramatic from God, dramatic proofs from God, visible, unmistakable manifestations and confirmations that God is with us. Give me a sign, Lord. To show me that you care for me. That you love me. And we need to learn to be content. With the still, small voice of his word. Because we can take that word. And we have it not only now. But tomorrow. And next week. And next year. Whereas the mighty. And the melodramatic. And the cataclysmic comes in a second and it goes in a second. 
We need to be content with the still, small voice of his word as we read it each day. As this preached on the Lord's day, as we study it in the midweek and the Wednesday evening, listening, learning, changing, being comforted and encouraged. It's by his word that the Lord restores hope to his tired, dejected, weary, hopeless servants. And if tonight you are in a state of hopelessness as a believer, then I say to you, listen to his word. Go to his word. Because that is where he speaks and how he speaks. And that's how he recovers and restores our hope in him. And if tonight you're in a state of hopelessness and you are not a believer, then you too can have hope restored. Not just in life, not just hope for life, but hope for eternity. Living hope. Hope that comes in the gospel. Hope that comes through Christ. Hope that will sustain you no matter what comes in the future. It's the hope that is ours. Yours. Through repentance. Turning from our sin. Turning to Christ. And trusting in him as Saviour. Don't demand proofs of God. Heed his still, small voice. Unbelieving man, unbelieving woman, unbelieving young person. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. The final thing that we note this evening is that at, the, at heart the Lord restores not only... Uh, sorry, and this... Uh, not only does the Lord restore his godly strength and restore him spiritually, but also, while at heart, the Lord restores Elijah's confidence for the future. Twice Elijah told the Lord, verse 10, verse 14, the Israelites have put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It's a very bleak view, a very pessimistic outlook, negative mindset with regard to the future. He says, when I'm killed, when I die, the cause of God dies with me. Nobody to continue it after me. And in verses 15 to 18, the Lord says, Elijah, Elijah, it's not like that. You're wrong to think of that. You're wrong to speak that way. You're not the only one left. Look at verse 18. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. Elijah, the cause of God doesn't rise or fall with one man. I have 7,000. I've kept 7,000 in Israel who, like you, have not worshipped Baal. And Elijah, wickedness is not going to triumph. 
Future kings will be instruments of my judgment on wicked Ahab, on wicked Jezebel, and on disobedient Israel. I am God. I am in control. And Elijah, you're not going to be killed. You're going to return to Israel. You're going to go back to the place of Judah. You're going to take up your work as my prophet again. And you're going to anoint those kings who will bring judgment. And I'm going to give you even an assistant. Elisha. He's going to learn the prophetic office from you. And he's going to carry on the prophetic office when your time has come to leave this earth. So the Lord restores his confidence in the future. You've seen the advertising slogan the future is bright the future is orange. Time will tell whether that is true or not. It's a mobile phone advert. Elijah is told the future is bright. It is the Lord's. It's bright. Because it's the Lord's. Tomorrow is the Lord's. Next month is the Lord's. Eternity is the Lord's. And so his hope is restored. And what more could you or I need to restore our hope? Those very things that threaten your existence are under the Lord. He's able to protect you in them. He's able to bring you through them. The Lord is able to restore you to your former usefulness. He's able to restore you to your roles. He's able to restore you to your task. Hope it's recovering. And verse 19. So Elijah went from there. His hope that he'd lost is now hope that's renewed by God's dealings with him. And he goes trusting and he goes obeying. Will you, will I go from here tonight trusting, obeying, going forth with hope renewed in the Lord? Hope that's loss and recovery. Amen.